0: All right, well, this year we've been talking about uh, being heroes. We've talked, uh, the fir- well, the first month in January, we kind of talked about uh, uh, why the world wants heroes, what a hero is. Um, this month we started, well, a week ago we started talking about uh, what it is that uh, drives internally the hero. What is it internally that uh Uh, sets their compass, sets them in the right direction, has them uh, behave and do uh, what they do. And so last week we began that by talking about the guiding principles of the hero. And uh, we we looked at some of the comic heroes and things, but for us as Christians there are two passages that jump out. One is um, out of Micah chapter 6 where he says, uh, uh, he said, uh, do justice Love, mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He sets that up. Jesus says basically the same thing when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so we laid out what our guiding principles are supposed to be, our internal compass, that we seek to do justice, that is acting towards others the way we would want them to act towards us, that we uh, give mercy And that is that we react to people the way we would want them to react to us and that we walk humbly with our God and that is how we adapt to the differences between us and others, how we bridge the gap just as Christ who, though being God, made himself in the form of a man in order to come and to reach us. So this is our guiding principle that we need to do justice, give mercy, walk humbly, and to do to others as we would have them do to you. So this week, I kind of want, I mean, this is going to sound psychological. It's not really supposed to be, but it, it, it kind of gets there. I want to talk about the mentality that goes into every human being and is at the cornerstone uh, of every hero story. Any any story you have in your mind that uh, you think of a hero, superhero, not superhero just someone you know who's done something heroic, these are all aspects uh, uh, that uh, help shape them and form them. So they have these in common. The first thing is, is that they have tragedy, okay? And we're going to go through three things real quick, uh, and then we're going to hit some other things. Tragedy is a central aspect to what defines a hero. So, if we think for a moment, let's go and do as we've been doing. Let's go and think for a moment about the uh, superhero. So, we used uh, the, we've used different examples. You have uh, Peter Parker. So, at the beginning, as he becomes Spider Man, he suffers the loss of his uh, his uncle Ben, and he suffers that violent loss. Uh, something that that shouldn't have happened. It happened to him. He didn't make it happen. It is something that occurred in his life, and. Uh, Was a tragedy. You have Superman, whose story actually begins in tragedy, as his entire home world is on the verge of being destroyed, and so they jettison him in a pod across the galaxy uh, to a an alien planet, which is Earth, and he arrives here out of that tragedy. Bruce Wayne, who is Batman, what did he do? Uh, We know the beginning of his story. He's walking with his parents down an alley where a guy comes, and he comes to rob them and ends up shooting them, gunning his mother and father down right in front of him. He witnesses this. We find that tragedy is a central aspect. Well, you know what? It's even bigger than heroes, right? I mean, this is is a central aspect of life. All of us face tragedy tragedies. Stay away from that. All of us, we face these uh, tragedies. So in our lives, there are things that happen to us that we did not intend, we did not uh, make happen to us, they just happened to us. We have all lost loved ones. There are people in our lives that we wish were still around who are not. We find ourselves that we may have made mistakes, we've sinned, And we have had to face the unexpected results of those sins. Yeah, we may have caused them, but we weren't looking for them. We weren't expecting them to happen. Just tragedy befalls us because of the really bad choices that we make. Or maybe, in fact, Uh, It wasn't our bad choices, but the bad choices of other people, the sinful choices of other people have come and affect us, and tragedy has befallen us. I think of the example of uh, someone who chooses to drive drunk and ends up in an accident killing someone else because of their bad decision. Both people have faced tragedy, one because he made a bad decision, one because he happened to be in the way of the guy making a bad decision. Either way, tragedy, an unintended situation, befalls these people. You have Tragedies in your lives, things that have defined you in many ways. Now, the stories in the scriptures, how many of the stories begin with tragedy or involve tragedy? The story of heroes. I think of Noah. What's the tragedy in that story? God wipes out the entire earth. Try to imagine just for a moment being that guy having just spent decades building a boat. And then you've been begging people, come on with me. They won't come. God shuts the door. The rains begin to fall. The people realize what is happening. And Noah and his family are sitting, listening to the hordes of people outside banging on the door, begging to get in. That's a tragedy. He's got to listen to not only the men but their wives and children as they scream and tear and die i think of the prophets who found themselves in prison and beaten and injured and we find the israelites who are dragged off into captivity away from their home i think of ruth the the, the entire book of ruth begins on a tragic premise. There's a woman named Naomi who has a husband and two sons. Her husband dies, so in order to provide for her family, she has her sons uh, begin to take care of them and and to be able to begin to make family. So they marry, but then her two sons die. And then Naomi and one of her daughter-in-law's Ruth, they head back to her homeland, and the rest of the story is focused around what happens because of this tragedy. That befalls them. Over and over and over, the heroes of the Bible, we see tragedy in their stories. In fact, uh, remember how I said last week that um, that there can be no mercy if there is not injury. Meaning that uh, when God tells you to be merciful, God is specific. What what isn't said but needs to be said is God is looking at you and I and saying, you will be injured. You will be hurt. You will be insulted. Things will happen to you that are unjust. And I expect you to show mercy. In a world that is fully just, there is no mercy. Where there is no injury, there is nothing to forgive. So just as, so just as mercy requires injury, I want you to understand that the hero requires tragedy. Has to be there. I don't think one of us would go and watch a movie or read a book about the life of someone that everything goes well. Every chapter is just another great thing happening to them. Where's the story? A hero only exists where there's tragedy. We look at policemen as heroes. Why? Because crime exists. We look at firemen as heroes. Why? Why? Because people lose their homes in fires. They lose their lives. No, a hero requires tragedy. So if you and I, if all of us, not just heroes, but if every human being has at the core of the story of who we are, if we are if we are shaped and defined by our tragedies, well then there's not one of us in here that can say we can't be heroes. If heroes require tragedy, and all of us have suffered tragedies, then all of us can choose to be heroes. What comes along with tragedy, though, is actually what is probably more problematic, and that is trauma. Trauma is injury, right? It is wounding. It is pain. It is a burden that someone carries because of tragedy. Peter Parker carried hurt and guilt over what happened to his uncle. Batman carried immense anger and rage over having witnessed his parents die. Superman, now you may sit there and go, wait a minute, how where was Superman's trauma? How did, the guy was the guy was inv- invulnerable? Yeah. He was extremely lonely. He was the only one of his kind on a foreign planet. He didn't fit in. He tried his best to fit in, but he didn't. In fact, his fortress is specifically called what? The anyone that, I don't you may not know may not remember the Fortress of Solitude. He was all, all on his own. He suffered loneliness, isolation, abandonment, and that plays out. So for each and us, our tragedies have all injured us as well. There's a guy at my last church. Uh, his name was Dave, and he was a construction worker. He was out working on his deck one day, and as can happen, he slipped and he fell. He landed on the concrete in such a way that it snapped his back and he was paralyzed. That's a burden to carry. The tragedy brought trauma. So you and I, we may find ourselves, we might carry guilt for our sins. There are consequences, but we carry more than that. It's it's the guilt. We We have regretted mistakes do you carry any regret in you for things in the past you wish things could be different I don't maybe I'm wrong but I don't think there's a parent here because I mean I do it I know I do it that I, that there are times when I, I I just think if I could go back and do something different I would and boy I wish I, I wish I could I a, a bad decision just something didn't happen just right and then and then I, I carry this regret with me longing to go back and and correct it We have wounds in us from where other people have wounded us. We have hurts and pains. We have the echoes. Every one of us have the echoes of the voices of those who have have ripped us apart and torn us down verbally. Those echo in our heads. We have all had deep pain that can fuel anger, despair, hopelessness, or fear. There's not one of us in here who's well-adjusted. We all carry injury. That's why David writes this. In Psalm 34, he says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. This also explains why Jesus, when he came, I mean, who did he focus on? He focused on those who were hurting, right? Those who were suffering trauma, who had experienced tragedies, the sick, the isolated, the marginalized. I mean, the Beatitudes, the entirety of the Beatitudes basically say that the people who will be blessed, the people who will be happy, the people that the kingdom belongs to are the hurting, the lost. Not only does the hero deal with tragedy and trauma, we all do. So what is it that makes a hero, though? If you and I and every, if the villain in the story, if the villain in a story suffers tragedy and trauma, What is the difference between a hero and a villain in a story? Between the protagonist and the antagonist? What is the difference? Because every one of us has those backgrounds. We all have the tragedy. We all have the trauma. We all carry it. What makes someone a hero as opposed to a villain? Both have origin stories. Both have unique powers, unique intelligences. Both are highly motivated, and both have trauma. They differ in how they react to this tragedy and the traumas in their life. The difference between good and evil is in our reaction. The difference between the hero and the villain is in how we respond. So both the hero and the villain have faced the worst of this world. They have suffered the pain that it offers. And it is in this reaction that they differ. The hero refuses to be defined by the evil around him. He refuses to accept what has happened to him. The villain succumbs to that evil. One triumphs over it, one gives in to it. When tragedy befalls us, you and I, when we are injured, we all face a choice. Am I going to be the last to suffer Or am I going to become the conduit through which this suffering passes to someone else? That is the difference between the hero and the villain. So I have have used this before, oh, so many times, but I'm going to do it again. Sin is a disease that when it is done to you, it demands that you allow it to pass through you into someone else. When you are yelled at, if someone gets in your face and screams at you, what do you immediately want to do? You want to puff your chest up even bigger, get in their face. You want to over the, get over them and rip into them too. If someone insults you, what do you want to do? Immediately, you want to insult them back. When someone strikes you, when someone takes from you, what is the first thing you want to do? You want to strike them and you want to take from them. That's what sin is. The villain allows himself to be defined by the trauma that he encounters. When he is hurt, he hurts in return. It's not always equal because I may be at work with my boss and he's yelling at me and I'm not going to yell back at him because I could get fired. But when I get home, I'm going to pass it on to someone. The hero decides. My pain will go no further than me. So basically, the question becomes this, and this is, this is, this is the main point. Here, here we go. How do we find triumph? What is it that allows us to triumph over the tragedies and the traumas that impact us? So the first thing is this, is we have to hold to a better idea. I honestly hated writing that because it sounds almost so cliche and meaningless like that could mean anything. But there really was no other words for it. You have to hold to a better idea. When you interact with the world that is around you, when you look at people in your life, are they evil? Or are they potentially good? Are they worthwhile? Do they have value? Or are they worthless and meaningless? Because how we choose to view this world determines whether we are the hero or the villain in this world. The villain that sees the evil in the world, sees the evil that is done to them, and says, if this is the way it is, then I will join it and I'll be the best at it. And it doesn't matter what, what situation you find yourself in. I think of politics. People always say, you know, uh, 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 politics, is it's dishonest. I mean, they're, they're, they're just dishonest all the time. Okay, so if you ended up going into politics, the villain says that's the way it is, so I will become the most dishonest, even if it's for a good cause. The hero refuses. The hero will not allow what is around him to define him. And thank God that is true, right? Because just over 2,000 years ago, if you were to peer out into the world as Christ from heaven peered out over the world, was there any light? Paul tells us there was not one righteous, not one. When Christ looked down to the world, it was absolute, complete, and consuming darkness. And he's faced a choice. They're not doing what I want them to. So they respect strength, they respect violence, I guess I'll go down and I'll control them such. He could have done that, correct? He could have come down with the power of God and done all of the things that, uh, that we do. He could have out-eviled us. No, he didn't do that. When he looked at the world, he, he chose, and I want you to understand this, he chose not to see us as we were, but to see us for what we could be. He chose to look at you in your sin and not see the sin, but to see the righteousness that could be in you. Scriptures tell us that he did not count our sins against us. Instead, he was calling all of us to him. We know that evil is going to come our way. The question is, is it going, are we going to allow it to move through us or are we going to hold to a better idea and do something different, try to create a different world? Romans 12, uh, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right there it is. One is the villain, one is the hero. The conduit of evil, the one that is overcome, is the villain. The one that stands against it is the one that is good. In the darkest times, we grab and we hold the truth so that we may endure. That's why Jesus told his apostles, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, because in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome this world. Jesus is saying, I mean, it couldn't be any clearer. You are going to go out into this world, and you are going to face pain, and you are going to face hardship and darkness, and you've got to choose. Basically, he's telling them, do not choose to see the world for what it is, but see the world for what I am going to make it. I have overcome it. Put your mind on that, not on what is but on what will be. Take heart. I have known parents who had children in their 20s who suffered with addiction for years. And every time they came home and said, Mom, I'm ready to change. Every time. Mom takes them in. Why? Because that mom sees freedom. She's seen it fail seven, eight, nine times. But that's not, she doesn't live in the failure. She doesn't view her child through the failure. She sees them through what can be. So Paul tells us this. He says, look, he's kind of setting this whole thing for us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Where you set your mind is, that's the world you're going to find. That's it. When Je- I honestly believe this. When Jesus said, uh, uh, seek and you will find, I, he, I, yes, he is absolutely saying that if you seek God, you will find him. But I think he's setting up a much broader, bigger picture. You will find whatever it is you're looking for. If you are looking for the bad in people, you're going to find it. If you are looking for the good in people, you will find it as well. If you see the potential in the world, if that's what you're looking for, you will find it. If you see the world as hopeless, guess what? That's what you're going to find too. What you set your mind on actually shapes your reality. The hero believes in a better idea, a better plan, a better way but it's not enough just to sit back and to believe it we have to be willing to fight the enemy i'm 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 going to be a little blunt here <coughs> it drives me nuts cuz i have it hurts me i have watched friends of mine who have accepted Followed him for a while. Found the joy in him. And then only to tell me later on, this is too hard. It hurts. Satan won't leave me alone. He keeps coming after me. It's miserable. I am more miserable as a Christian than I was when I wasn't. And I would look at them and say, do not give up. Again, going back to the, the better idea, if you if you are under attack spiritually by the enemy, you, that is, no, it's not fun. But that is a compliment because the enemy only attacks that which is a threat to him. And I would try to encourage my friends, no, he's, he's trying to tear you down. He's trying to get you to stop. Don't do it. And then eventually, what do they all do? <laughs> friends or family that you've seen that happen in? You know what drives me nuts about that? They make a choice that Satan doesn't like. And he punishes them until they do what he wants. Do you know why my friends, your friends, who fall away, do you know why it isn't as hard when they abandon their faith? Because God respects you enough to allow you to choose. The enemy doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about them. The enemy is an abuser. It will be his way or he will hurt you. You. It will be his way, and you will conform, or he will injure you and berate you and tear you down until you come into compliance. And what drives me nuts is watching these people give in to the abuser. There's there is not and the funny thing is there isn't one of them. There's not one of them. that would be proud of a woman whose husband beats her and she stays with him. They wouldn't be proud of that. They would look at her and say, well, what is wrong with her? Why does she stay there? Well, she's staying there for the same reason you abandoned Christ, because it is easier to try to keep the peace than to walk away from the abuser who won't let you go. We've got to fight. If you're struggling right now, listen, if you are struggling, if you've got a pain, if there is a hurt, if the enemy is after you and berating you and tearing you down, and you think in your head, um, oh, this, this isn't worth it anymore. Why am I even doing this? Don't give in to him. He is an abuser. Fight. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Devour. To consume. That is what he wants to do. But we will not surrender to an abuser. We will not allow him to make us instruments of his evil. And his, we will not become his instruments of abuse to other people around us. We will not be devoured. We will fight back. So Paul says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We will not allow any stray thought into our minds. We, when, when Satan tempts us, we're going to take that and we're going to do something good with it. If Satan, if Satan wants me to tear down my wife, I'm going to stop where I am and I'm going to walk over to her and I'm going to encourage her. I will not be his instrument of abuse. No, we're going to hold on to the truth we're going to destroy his lies. That's the key. Holding on to the truth, destroying those lies, refusing to listen anymore because all he wants to do is move you away. Ephesians 6:11 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And after having done all, to stand. The hero fights. Not just for himself, but for others for the better idea for hope the last thing that you need to do seriously to be to find triumph over the tragedy and traumas in your life is to find joy in faithfulness Let me ask this question. Where do you find satisfaction? And, and th- I, I, I'm using that word because I think that w- we think of joy as, as silly elation. And really, joy is, it's a, it's a sense of fulfillment, a sense of completion, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of wholeness. Where do you feel the most whole, the most satisfied in your life? Is it work? Does work make you feel satisfied? See, the problem with making work your satisfaction is that, well, what happens when you don't work anymore? What happens if you're injured and can't work? Where's your satisfaction? Is your satisfaction in your family? That's great. I I want everyone to have great relationships with their family, but here's the reality. Your family is going to disappoint you, ignore you, reject you at times. They're going to be putting their needs above yours. It's It's the nature of the relationship. It's those closest to us that can hurt us the most. So if I put my sense of satisfaction in my family, Setting myself up for failure, and I'm setting them up for failure. You see, we are overcome by evil only when our hope is placed on others or in our circumstances. Basically, when we put it in things we cannot control. I cannot control my health, I cannot control my finance, I can do my best but I have no ultimate control over my finances or my family or other people or how people view me, what they say about, none of that. I have no, none of that. Putting my satisfaction on anyone else is only going to, it not only fails me, it sets the other people up to be failures in your eyes. See, I'm not supposed to be kind because you appreciate it. I'm not supposed to be generous because you show me gratitude and I know it made a big difference. What happens? What happens if my kindness, what if in return I get hostility? What if my generosity is wasted? What if my kind words, nice words, gentle words are thrown back at me? My my gentleness is met with hostility. If my satisfaction is in any of these things, every time it fails, I become more and more jaded. I was going to say bitter, but I want to use the word jaded. Every time I'm generous with someone, they waste my generosity. They take my generosity and use it on something stupid, blow it. Eventually, I'm going to stop giving. Why? Because I'm not feeling satisfied in giving. Look what they're doing with my money. It's completely backwards. Our satisfaction must be found in God and in the faithfulness of faith following Him. I am kind regardless of whether you appreciate it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you ever tell me that it's appreciated or not. I do it because my God has been kind to me and has called me to go and do the same. I forgive not because you are sorry, but because I was forgiven. I am generous not because you are faithful with what I give you, but because when I was faithless with what He gave me, He still gave to me. I give, I do, I serve, not for what happens, not for the response, not for the circumstance, but merely for the joy of being faithful to God, who was faithful to me. I can be joyful if the whole world rejects my generosity. And my kindness. Because my joy isn't in their reaction. It is in the one who has empowered me to be kind. Habakkuk three seventeen and 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off, From the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What is he he saying? or what happens around me. Everything I'm able to do, I'm able to do because he's empowered me to do it. And that's where the joy is. Even when things get difficult, James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it joy when you meet trials. Think about that for a minute. He's not telling us to enjoy difficulty is he? No. He's not telling us embrace the pain and just learn to like it. Where is the joy? Where is the satisfaction? It is in when you face these trials. No, it is because God is walking with you and this same God Will not abandon you. And not only that, when you suffer these things, this God has promised you that though you may not be delivered out of the tribulation, you will be made better because of it. No matter what I face, He walks with me, He strengthens me, and He has promised that he will do a good work in me even when life is hard. Now, I can either be excited about that or I can just go ahead and reject God. And I guess all the atheists and agnostics and people who reject religion, they don't suffer anywhere in life, do they? Nowhere. Their lives are perfect. No, none of their family gets sick and die. They don't, they don't have financial troubles. More. We all do. The joy is that in the suffering of humanity, we are not alone. He's with us. That's why Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave This is the difference between the villain and the hero in any story. You have the tragedies. You have the traumas. God this morning is offering you the triumph. Set your mind on a better future. Believe in a better world. In a brighter tomorrow, fight the enemy. Do not give in to him, and find joy in the faithfulness of God, and in the faithfulness He has placed within you to do what you have been called to do. The coolest thing here—I'm going to. This is going to be a little weird. We we are told that. Uh, uh, We are called in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he prepared beforehand for us before the creation of the world. What does that mean? Before he created the world, he knew you and he knew your name. He knew all the mistakes you would make, all the sins you would commit. still worth it. And he set a plan for you, a great plan. That's something to be joyful about. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation this morning. If there's any way we can help